On today's Money with Friends, are you somebody that started saving after 2008? Maybe thought this stock market thing was pretty easy? A new opinion piece in Market Watch says maybe that aggressive retirement you were thinking about might not be as easy as you thought it was. That's today on Money with Friends. Welcome to the Money with Friends podcast, coming to you live from my mom's half-finished basement outside Detroit, Michigan, where we make the Stacky Benjamin Show. I'm Joe Salcihai. And I am Kristen Wong, coming to you live from Los Angeles, Pasadena, California. Woohoo! This, yeah. this is the podcast where we cover recent stories ripped from the financial press. Today, we're tackling one from MarketWatch. Not only do we read them like some podcasts, but we dive into how these affect your wallet and what you can do to invest, save, and pay down debt more effectively. And if that's not enough, we'll also share a big idea at the end of today's show you can take with you to be better with money the rest of today and all usually in right around 20 minutes. Today, we have a new sponsor, Kristen. We'd like to say hello to our new sponsor, Policy Genius. If you haven't found a play-by-play breakdown or your future inside a crystal ball or a cookie, that's okay. Be prepared for anything with life insurance. In just a few minutes, you can find your best price and apply at policygenius.com. Policy Genius will always get the future wrong. Better get life insurance right. Big Thanks to Policy Genius for joining us on Money with Friends. Also joining us today, back for a repeat performance after a command performance yesterday, our friend, the editor over at The Financial Diet, Kristen Wong. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? I'm good. But when you said Pasadena, I didn't know where. So being from Michigan, of course, growing up in Michigan and, you know, uh, being uh, old enough that I just remember thinking Southern California and the Rose Bowl, right? I'm from Big Ten country. So Pasadena, did you go see the the Parade of Roses every year? Um, We do on New Year's. um, Yeah, they have the New Year's Parade and we usually ride our bikes down there and go check it out. But it's so crowded. We'll just be like a little peak of a... (laughs) <laughs> you know, float. And then we're like, okay, we're done. <laughs> Go back home and sleep. You don't start camping out at 3am. No, but I, I see, I want to do that one year, but it gets surprisingly cold. It gets, look, it gets cold here. And I am hesitant to say that to you. <laughs> it, it does get cold. Um, and, but I see people bundled up on like New Year's Eve, uh, waiting for the parade. And sometimes it looks kind of fun. Maybe I'll do that one year, but I do differentiate Los Angeles from Pasadena because they are two very, they're two different cities. Sure. They're very, I always say LA because I feel like people don't know what Pasadena is, but you knew what it, I mean, people know what that is, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, big 10 country, we definitely know what it is. We have a fantastic show today because we're going to be talking about retirement saving. So if you're anybody saving for retirement, I think this is uh this is a show for you. Let's see which one of our friends is going to help us kick off today's show. This is Lacey from the Military Money Show. The money talking party starts right now. It's time for Money with Friends. All right. This is an opinion piece written by a guy who I read regularly. His name's Mark Halbert. And he usually has an interesting opinion. I think this one's no exception. His piece reads, are millennials fooling themselves with their retirement saving strategy? That sounds like clickbait, Kristen. Uh, if you don't mind doing the honors, let's see what Mr. Halbert has to say. All righty. Might millennials be saving too much for retirement? The question seems ludicrous given the drumbeat of messages that all of us, but especially millennials, are saving too little for retirement. 
Yet the suggestion to the contrary appeared this past Sunday in no less distinguished a publication as the New York Times in an article entitled How Millennials Could Make the Fed's Job Harder. It asserted that the millennials retire early movement is the Federal Reserve's nightmare since it could lead to such a burst in savings that interest rates would fall lower and the economy become weaker than the Fed is hoping. And then a few days later, Nationwide Advisory Solutions released its fifth annual advisor authority study under the headline, Are Millennials Better Prepared for Retirement Than Gen Xers? Why this sudden shift in messaging? Of course, the Times is not wrong in noting the theoretically the theoretic possibility that the millennial generation could increase their savings rate so high as to have a significant impact on the Fed's policy options. But a theoretical possibility is not the same as a likelihood. For example, I wonder why the same worry about saving too much was never expressed about Generation X or baby boomers, even though the theoretical possibility existed for them as well. The only reason I can see for treating millennials differently is that a higher percentage of them say they expect to retire early. According to a T. Rowe Price survey that is mentioned in the Times article, 43% of millennials expect to retire before 65, compared with 35% for Gen Xers and 17% for baby boomers. But a fantasy about retiring early is not the same as being realistic. The millennials intend to retire early is mostly a triumph of hope over experience. They may say they expect to do so, but in fact, they are even further away from being able to do so than prior generations. Then they go over a Federal Reserve triennial study of consumer finances, basically showing that the average millennial's net worth between 25 and 35 is less today, right around uh, 17 or $18,000, according to this graph, uh, versus, let's say, people uh, who are that age in 1995 who had a comparative net worth, inflation adjusted, of just over $30,000. So people with a lot less in savings. Uh, he writes that clearly millennials are not better prepared for retirement than prior ones. And the Fed has nothing to worry about from this generation's savings habits. Uh, to be sure, it's possible millennials are worse off than previous generations, but still saving more than they. So I now want to focus on whether millennials are in their own right to, uh, likely to retire comfortably. The answer not very. He actually continues on with that, talking about how with people living longer, Kristen, and people saving conservatively, that it's uh, it it to his point, he thinks that it's mostly hope. And I wonder if let's start this off with I remember when I was um, when I was young, I was in my grandparents uh, orchard. My parents were fruit farmers. My grandparents were fruit farmers. And so I remember working with my aunts and uncles out picking apples one day. And one of my aunts wasn't there because she had to work on a Sunday. And I very emphatically said that when I have a job, I am not going to work on weekends at all. That's not going to happen. And I think that that was, you know, great sentiment that I wanted. But economic reality said, I've worked a hell of a lot of Saturdays and Sundays. Is the fact that more millennials want to retire earlier than Gen X or baby boomers just a fact that they're younger? Yeah, I often wonder that about a lot of reports I hear about how millennials do things, how baby boomers do things. I'm like, is this a generational thing or is it just an age thing? You know what I mean? Like we have said the same thing about any generation. Um, So I don't know. I feel like there's probably some faulty data like to begin with with all of this like I feel like probably there aren't that many generational changes as we think they are probably it's just an age-related thing um but I don't know I mean I was I it's it's kind of funny like reading this because I don't anecdotally know anybody I mean of, of course being in the personal finance world I know a lot of people who are fire but like 
people outside of that. I don't know any of my friends who are like, oh, I'm going to retire earlier. I think I'm going to retire this age. They're like, oh, I'll probably work till I die. (laughs) That's the sentiment in our group. Well, no, that's that's funny that you say that because, you know, at the beginning, he addresses this thing that I've I've read before. What if people save so much money that this idea that we are a borrower nation all of a sudden has to change? I think, man, would that be cool? But that right. ain't, we're so far away from that. Like I, the, I kind of think that all the reports I've seen about that, and what he looks at some some big name um, publications talking about that, I, I think that's wishful thinking. Yeah, I think it's probably taking it to the other extreme too, right? Like. It, it is. I mean, he mentions this to his credit, but like we hear that we're not saving enough for retirement, and then all of a sudden now we're saving too much. And also, like I don't like it is that if the system is set up so that the economy is going to be ruined because people save too much, like that just seems like a faulty system, right? Right. Right. Well, and well, and and frankly, let's put it that I do think it's a faulty system. So for people yeah. that don't know uh, how this stuff works, let's stop there for a second, Kristen, because. We are definitely a nation that's based on people borrowing money. And if you don't think so, just look at where the tax incentives are. Most of the tax incentives that we get are for spending more money. Why did the Fed drop interest rates recently? They didn't drop interest rates to nearly zero because of the fact that they want us to refinance our debt and pay off our mortgage, which is what we probably should do, or refinance the car loan, get a consolidation loan, cut up the credit cards, right? They didn't do it for that reason. They did it so we'll spend more. And, um, it, it, and I inherently think if you look at, if you look at the United States versus let's say Singapore as an example, where the saving rate's really high and has been for a long time and the average person there, their net worth is just a monster number. Uh, my data is probably 10 years old at this point, so I'm not going to talk about exact numbers, but just go look at the savings rate for a country where it's built on the incentives are built on people saving and man, you've got a system that's a lot less faulty. Hmm, yeah. But the, what do we do? We have to change our entire system. <laughs> yes. Maybe, maybe we should do. And not likely. Not 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 not, not happening that. anytime soon. Anytime soon, yeah. Um I don't know. I, I just like on a personal level, it's hard to read stuff like this sometimes because as a as a elder millennial, <laughs> it is like there's so much criticism about what millennials are doing. And then it's like, it, we we do have, like, as he said in the article, inherit a lot of problems with the economy. And now, I don't know, to, to just suggest, like, have this even be a suggestion that we're saving too much for retirement, I think is just kind of like, I mean, maybe it's just kind of clickbaity, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's dive into, into the biggest clickbait thing we've had lately which is the fire movement, right? I mean, that that before the word coronavirus, that you could put the letters F-I-R-E in any article and there's a huge number of people, you know, listening or reading or whatever uh, yeah. uh, uh, to that. Does this change the game? When we look at from 2008 to a couple months ago, you could have a spreadsheet that said, oh my goodness, this retirement savings thing is simple I could retire at 34 years old and everything's going to be great. Now I think some of those people thinking that they could retire on, you know, a nest egg of four or five, $600,000 a year. Does this cause them to regroup and rethink their strategy? I mean, I'm sure it does. I wonder how many people will have to come out of 
early retirement, you know, because of this. I don't know. I'm just curious. Like I'm not fire. So I don't know how it works. I guess it just depends on like how long will it take the account? Like how long will it take the economy to recover from this? But like there, when you're fire, I guess if you're, I don't really know how it works, but I assume that most of your net worth is tied up in investments or tied up in the stock market. Then like your ability to retire early and be financially independent, then like is really dependent on the stock market, right? Well, there's two pieces. I mean, it's, it's, it's changing that it's making that gulf between what your investments can produce and the amount you need to live and making that as big as possible, right? So that you, I mean, they talk about, and I don't want to get into all the terms uh, because I don't even like all the terms, but, but fat fire means you're going to live on a lot more. Thin fire means you're going to build your own furniture and live in a tent in the woods. Um, Oh my God. Yes. There's all of these micro names, but, 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 but regardless of that, it's building that gulf between the two. It's funny. It's funny. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I I don't want to disparage the fire movement because I I like I said I have friends who are fire. I think it sounds great, but like isn't that isn't it just getting rich? Like isn't that all fire is? Like you're just getting it's just figuring out how to build wealth, right? I think that to some degree it's that, but I think there's also a philosophical thing that's really rooted in what Vicky Robin, you know, talks about a lot, which is uh understanding that there's a value on our time. And, and spending more time, like if you're going to get really philosophical about it, I think it's about deciding what is my time really worth and is it worth these things that I'm spending money on, you know, is, are these things really worthwhile to me? And am I, am I having an intentional existence? I think that's probably for people, you know, that are, that are, uh, uh, more thoughtful about it. Um, what, what they're thinking about, but yes, besides that, it's, get as much money as quickly as I can so I can do whatever I want to what want to later which is funny because I'm I'm uh I'm reading uh we do this live on Facebook if you want to hang out with us while we make the show head to facebook.com forward slash iStack Benjamins and you can hang out but but Annette asked a question that kind of goes to your question Kristen which is sometimes I wonder if maxing out our TSP and Roth IRA every year and living small now is the wrong plan. What if I don't make it? Or what if I have so much money, I don't know what to do with it. I mean, in, in, in some ways that's, that's a good question, but, but because the future is not promised to us tomorrow. I mean, it's no mistake that, I mean, we have a life insurance company sponsoring us for the first time today and life insurance is predicated on the fact that we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So it seems to me there's some there's got to be some balance between today and tomorrow. Yeah, I mean I think it's just figuring out what balance is right for you and like what's going I mean that's kind of why I I mean I I you want to have you want to have enough money to feel safe and secure in the future but you also want to like be able to enjoy your time now. And for me, it just comes down to crunching the numbers and figuring out like, okay, well, this is the amount that I'm going to put for the future. And I'm just going to pretend like I don't have that. Um, I don't know. So much of personal finance and just like life in general, I guess, goes back to balance. Well, and which brings up a question for you, which is you, you've said that you're not fire. You're not a, a part of the fire movement. Why not? I don't see a reason to be. I mean, that's just the plain and simple answer. Like, I don't, why, why would, why, of course I'm trying to retire early. Of course I'm trying to li- like save enough money so I can live a life where I can, where I only do the things that I want to do. But I'm also actively trying to do that now. Like I'm, 
if I, if I was fire, I don't think there's any difference in the way that I live my life now versus being fire. Yeah. I would do the same thing that I do now. I would write. Um, and, and I've crafted that, built that life for myself, built that career for myself without being fire. So I don't really see a need for it. The only, the only need reason I can see that I would be fire is just like, I would want to hoard money because I'm so scared about what the future might hold. Mm. And like, Oh my God, what a freelance, what freelance writing isn't a thing anymore. And uh, you know, I, and I can't depend on this career anymore. I mean, sure there, but I feel like for the most part, there are ways to live your life on your own terms without being fire. Yeah. Well, yes, Absolutely. I mean, for me, I never want to retire, right? I mean, I did once. I sold a company when I was 40. So I was lucky to be able to build that and be able to do that. But this thing I do right now, you know, I, if I can, Cheryl and I were laughing about this, that she was, she likes what she does too. We both have jobs that we love, but we were having a discussion just a couple of weeks ago and she said, you know, but I see myself doing this for maybe 10 more years you know, probably, probably 10 more years than I'd like to go do something else. And then she turned to me and started laughing. I'm like, what's so funny? She's like, you're going to die with headphones on. Like, you're gonna, <laughs> gonna, I'm totally going to have my oxygen here. And both people listening are going to have a great time, but I flip and love it, you know? And I think it, I think it is. Yeah. If you, if you can find that thing that you want to do forever, like how great is that? Right. I mean, maybe my, opinion would be different if I had a job that I really hated. And I was like, I got to find a way to get out of this. And I can see in that case that fire would become this thing that was like, you can latch onto that. And that makes you feel like you have some autonomy in your life, especially if you're in a job that like you're, you're if you're in a toxic job, I, yeah. I, I get it. Um, but I also think, um, I just don't, I guess I don't really know enough about the movement to understand why it's so such a thing because to me it's if you look at sure I get the philosophical part of that and I can I'm behind that I'm totally all about like creating a life you want and figuring out like what enough is for you um but like the numbers wise it just is about accumulating wealth yeah it's about living the life you want by accumulating wealth and yeah. that to me just means like well it's just like getting rich which we're all trying to do yeah I'm, I guess I am fire I'm trying to yes. do that no, I think to some degree we all are. And I think these, these, sometimes these terms get get uh, convoluted, like I have to drink some Kool-Aid or I have to, you know, take the pledge or go to meetings. Like, you know, it's going to be Jim Gaffigan says, he's like, well, I like the fire movement, but I don't have time to go to all the meetings. Like that would be, uh, Heather, Heather says the idea of fire to me is that's appealing is self-sustainability. You know, what's funny is that I, I think to your point, Kristen, finding the messaging that that appeals to you and makes you want to live a life that's more intentional. For me, I interviewed this guy about the same time. This is another one of my favorite books. I was so lucky because they came out very close to each other, your book, and this book called Happy Money by a guy named Ken Honda really spoke to me, this idea of gratitude, kind of the Marie Kondo. You know, if, if, if I have gratitude about the fact that we're here together and we have the ability to make this show and I have gratitude that 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 our sponsor will give us some money to support the show, then I'm going to spend that money more thoughtfully. And then I'll have gratitude for the things that I buy. You know, um, this idea of gratitude just really speaks to me. So I think finding what speaks to you and using that to keep you motivated to do the right thing, I think, is, is probably the important part here. Um, let's go back to this idea, though of uh of with the downturn and things be maybe too easy for some millennials 
The, the, I, I think before we get to the big takeaway, I think there is, there's got to be a takeaway there that your numbers probably need to be maybe a little more conservative than people thought that they needed to be. Conservative in what way? Well, I think there were some people that, that, um, that might have thought, like, I remember, I remember being pitched by a couple people last year who said that these professionals that are talking about getting 6% on your money are ridiculous. Oh. I've been doing this since 2008 and I've gotten 11, right? Yeah. <laughs> I know. One of my funds is like a 20% or at least uh, last I checked, like somewhere like above 15% return. And I'm like, so to your point, you're right. Like, I'm always like, oh, the 6 7%, like people say that that's too high. Like this, you know, fund that I'm in gets like a 20% return. Like, what are they talking about? But now, I mean, I'm not even going to go look at it, but I think, you know, if you're, if you're in uh, investing at all, like if you are, if you're in, you're investing and you know what you, you kind of understand how it works and what you're doing. I think a lot of millennials probably just like sign up for their 401k and don't really understand, you know, understand how the inner workings of how this works, but like, then you, you are prepared for this. You know, that like that is a really high return and that generally yeah. six to 7% is the number. So I feel like you probably know that like, this is like, a 20, you know, 30, 40 year thing that you're doing. You're not just doing this for 10 years. You're not just doing this for five years. Right. I'm talking about millennials. Yeah. No, but well, and I think that it's harder for them, uh, especially people start saving after 2008 because you had one really long extended cycle. And so that is your whole investing reality. So even though people talk about, you know, 2000 to, to 2002 downturn, 1987, the 80s with these really high interest rates on mortgages. I mean, CDs that are paying eight, nine, 10% at that time. We hear these stories about this stuff, but, but, but if that's not your reality, it, I think it, 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 it can become easy to think that, um, that, okay, this, this is the way things are, which, you know, increasingly the past two or three years, you hear a lot of these older people saying, you know, at some point there's, there's no time limit on this, but at some point this market cycle is going to change and we need to be, we need to be aware of that. Yeah, completely. Um, I, I, I think probably most, I don't know, like, again, I'm, I'm on the older side of the millennial generation. So like, I do know what happened during the recession and I kind of lived through that and, and I know what that experience is like. And I wasn't really invested that much at that time but like you're right it had like there's been like the market has done so well since then that maybe i can see how somebody's idea of like what investing is and what returns they can expect would be a little bit um optim like too high but i think also we probably are aware that what goes up must come down and then it it's going to go up again and so It'll, I think if you're, like I said, if you're investing, you are aware of the fact that like things will even out and like over time, everything will be okay. We're just like in a really, we're about to apparently hit another recession. So <laughs> we just have to wait it out. But that also applies to jobs, side hustles. You know, I mean, people building side hustles, somebody, I think it was Claudia earlier on uh, hanging out with us said that uh, her side hustle completely dried up. Um, that, that, that could even change because of recessionary stuff. Like all these things can grind to a halt and having, having, um, having a backup plan, I think becomes, becomes pretty important. 
Uh, I I could talk about this all day, but I'm looking at the time. We are having one of our longer episodes. So let's, uh, in just a second, we're going to have our big takeaway. Kristen's going to say something incredibly brilliant in just a couple of minutes. I like that look on your face. <laughs> no, no, no pressure at all. And uh, uh, while she's coming up with something that saves the show, I'll say this. If there's one thing humans aren't great at, it's predicting the future. It's exactly the topic that we've been talking about, Kristen. If you take a look around, no amount of crystal balls, fortune cookies, or tea leaves could predict what's happened here lately. But unpredictability is also what keeps life interesting. The trick, which we've also been talking about, is to enjoy the ride without worrying too much about what's around the next corner. One way to worry less is to get the right life insurance, and that's where Policy Genius can help. Policy Genius makes finding the right life insurance a breeze. In minutes, you can compare quotes from the top insurers to find your best price. In fact, you could save $1,500 or more a year by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance policies. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team, they handle all the paperwork and the red tape for free. And if you know anything about life insurance, you know that paperwork and red tape come with the territory. Policy Genius doesn't just make life insurance easy. They can also help you find the right home and auto insurance or disability insurance. So if you haven't found a play-by-play breakdown of your future inside a crystal ball or a cookie, that's okay. Be prepared for anything with life insurance. In just a few minutes, you can find your best price and apply at policygenius.com. Policy Genius, we'll always get the future wrong, better get life insurance right. By the way, I'm super happy. We reached out to Policy Genius and said, hey, we I've been a fan of Policy Geniuses for quite a while. Would you like to sponsor Money with Friends? And I was pleased that they said, yeah, we'll give it a shot. We'll try it out. Nice. So they'll be here for a few episodes, hopefully a lot of episodes, but for now for a few. So big thanks to them. All right. Millennial saving strategy, Kristen. What's our takeaway? Oh, um, oh my God. I have to say something brilliant now. Uh, <laughs> well, let's just get, that's not going to happen. Let's get that out of the way. But <laughs> I will say, you know, as a millennial reading stuff like this, I just don't see, I don't see how there's any practical benefit in trying to figure out whether you're saving enough or too much. You just do what you can. You follow the basic rules of personal finance you save money, you don't try to time the market. And just, I really believe that slow and steady kind of wins the race, right? Like just save as much as you can, do what you need to do and you'll be fine. See, and I will disagree with part of that because while, while when you're, when you're, you know, a long ways away from a goal, you can't predict exactly what you're going to need for that. I, I do like beginning with the end of mine. And I like knowing if I'm ahead or behind. And I know that can be demotivational for some people, but so know yourself. But I do like Stephen Covey's begin with the end in mind and go for the goal and see if, okay, I've got to save X amount per month. Can I do that? And if I can't do that, what's my strategy to get there? Do I have a strategy? And maybe that's just the way that my mind works. And I do think slow and steady wins the race. And I agree with everything else you said, but that, but, but that piece for me, I, I, I like this piece for one reason. It's that I think that keeping those numbers conservative about what the economy is going to do for you, what the stock market is going to do for you, what your side hustle might do for you, being conservative with all that stuff is never a bad idea. Because if you can keep all those assumptions about what other people are going to do low, and you can instead hustle yourself, save more yourself, do more yourself and rely on your two hands more, and you make it, I think that's a much more reliable strategy. 
So that's that's what I liked about this piece. But certainly, I can see it. I can see it being yeah. de- being deep motivational as well too. Going, hey man, I feel like to some degree he got up in your craw a little bit. Like you're not very happy with Mister Halbert here. No, I because I I don't think I think actually what he was saying is probably more in line with like I agree with a lot of what he's saying. He's saying that you know I don't know. He's kind of had the new he has a nuanced view on this. It was like he's questioning the New York times story to begin with, which is like, why are we telling millennials to to do this? But is there some, is, does this hold any water? So I don't, it doesn't, um, I just think, I don't know. It's hard because I think your listeners and like people like us who kind of know the inner workings of how personal finance works, like, sure, maybe that could be beneficial to us. But for people who are just like, just tell me how much money I need to save for retirement. And can we stop like with all the nitpicking over whether or not it's enough or not? Right. You right, know right. what I mean? Right. Like most, I mean, I grew up in a house where my parents very much told me like, don't, don't, don't depend on social security. Like just save as much as you can for retirement. So maybe I just have that mindset of like, I'm going to just sock some money away and like, let it sit there and not worry about it and let it grow and kind of keep everything hands off. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I see what you're saying. I see your point too, which is, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you're saying to kind of, it's sort of like the side income and like the multiple income streams mentality of like making sure you're doing everything you can um, in case one thing doesn't work out. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and, and knowing what I'm shooting for, like just, it's, it's, I, I find I waste time if I don't have an end in mind. Right. I mean, I, I will go all over the place, but if you tell me that I got to be here on a certain day, I will plot out the map to make sure I'm there on a certain day. And people do that yeah. for vacations. People spend more time planning vacations than they do planning retirement. So, yeah. I mean, I think that's true. And I, I mean, I write about that in my book too, to have the end goal in mind and like break it up into smaller milestones to figure out what you need to save each month. But I think with something like retirement that for millennials is seemingly so far off, it's really hard to be like, okay, well, this is what things are going to look like when I'm 65 years old. No, right. Just, so I yeah. think you, you just kind of, I mean, for me, the, the thing that works for me, and obviously like what works for one person is not going to work for everybody, is to, yes, have the end goal in mind. Like you should know how much you need saved for retirement um, or how much you're going to need in retirement and then work backwards. You should do that. You should run those numbers. But um, I don't know, just to, once you have that number in mind, I just save it automatically and not really don't give it much thought, but maybe that's not the best strategy. No, I think that is the best strategy. I think we're saying the same thing. My thing is that just when you put that number together, I think what Mr. Halbert's saying is make sure that's a low number based on today. Cause I think some people think that they're going, I mean, people, a lot of millennials saying they're going to retire early and, um, and especially with what's happened lately in the market, retiring on time might be a nice thing. Yeah. Kristen, I'll tell you something fun, something super fun is reading your book. Oh, well, thank you. Get Money is a fantastic book. How, 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 it, it seems like it came out yesterday, but it's been, has it been a year and a half now? What is, is it March? It's it been March. almost two years. God, that just, time just flies. It's, tell me about it. It's fantastic. So everybody needs to read Get Money. Tell me what's going on at the financial diet. You know, nobody hangs out with us. Nobody's listening. You can tell us the secret stuff that happens in the back room with Chelsea and everybody else. <laughs> what's going on there? Uh, nothing too, well, 
behind the scenes, same old stuff, nothing too exciting. We have some pieces about, um, you know, how to keep your budget, how to keep your budget intact amid all this craziness and how to keep your mind intact amid all this craziness that's going on with coronavirus. So we've got some good stuff coming up on the site. Well, yeah. thanks for hanging out with us for a couple extended episodes. I feel like with all the chatter going on, by the way, as we make the episode that uh, a lot of people needed to kind of this uh, this little break today. So she's Kristen. I'm Joe. Uh, I'll see you back here tomorrow with Bobby Rebel. Kristen will be back here a month from now. We'll see you guys next time here at Money with Friends. This show is created and hosted by Joe Salcihai and Bobby Rebel and is a joint venture of BRK Media LLC and Stacking Benjamins LLC, copyright 2020. Ryan Sini and Nicole Thornhill from Pro Podcast Solutions engineered this show and Ashley Wall is the producer. For a list of the thought leaders who appear on the podcast, head to our website, moneywithfriendspodcast.com. You can also check out our schedule for upcoming recording sessions so you can join us and be a part of the show. As with anything, remember, you shouldn't take advice from any of us or other video or podcasts without first talking to your financial advisor and that the people in this episode are here for your and their entertainment purposes only. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you back here next time with another episode of Money with Friends.